Dateline, November 28th, 2010. Well, good day, folks, and welcome back to the Australia Desk for episode 125 of the Airplane Geek Show. Steve Fisher back with you once again, wishing you a happy Thanksgiving, and doing the same, I guess, is Grant McHeron. Are you there, mate? Yeah, mate. How are you going? And happy Turkey Day, everyone. I hope you've had a big stuffing time. Yeah, turkey Day. I thought, you know, we only have turkey here at Christmas time. We don't have Thanksgiving here in Australia. No, 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 because every day we're thankful we're in Australia. Isn't that how it goes? Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah, well, I tell you what, you, you ought to have an excuse for another holiday. Yeah, what's why not? One more holiday, another barbecue, some more booze. Hey, I'm in for that. Well, I guess they don't have the Queen's birthday there in the States. No, no. They, don't they have President's Day, though? Well, they do. That's right, exactly. Well, I rest my case. We need another public holiday, and that's all there is to it. Right, okay, fine. Well, speaking of cause for celebration, Grant, it looks like one of our A380s is taken back to the sky. That's right, Steve. Uh, Qantas are going to have put their uh, A380s back in the air, uh, starting this weekend, in fact, with an A380 flight from Sydney up to London Heathrow, and they're going to come on back. Uh, I do note, however, that they're not doing the LA run. The uh, A380s are only back on the flights from Australia to the UK and back via Singapore and so on. They're not doing the long overwater full power power maximum weight takeoffs that they were out of LA. Yeah, the kangaroo route, of course. And so far to date, they've changed out four of the uh, Trent 900 engines across their fleet. Their fleet at the moment is six with uh, two to come. And uh, as we understand it now, Qantas is entering some negotiations with Rolls-Royce over just how they're going to fund all of these, you know, (laughs) unscheduled replacement activity. So, you know, I hope that doesn't uh, drag out too long, but um, one wonders whether that might just uh, end up in the courts. I don't think it'll get to the courts. I I think Rolls-Royce will be being very, very accommodating, shall we say, when it's quite clear that uh, it was, well, at this stage, it's quite clear that their engine had a fault. So that caused some catastrophic problems. So let's let's see what happens. I don't think it's going to get to the courts, but good to see that there are some A380s for Qantas flying again, even if they're not doing the Trans-Pacific. And I'll tell you what, their uh, Qantas CEO, Alan Joyce, he's been uh, getting quite some uh, praise this week in the uh, the aviation media for the way he's handled this crisis. I'll tell you what, I think the poor bloke's going to need a holiday. Uh, just I notice on the uh, news again tonight that another one of their 747-400s uh, had an engine problem and didn't even leave the ground now. One once again, nothing major, but still making the media. It's still making the news, and um, you know that's probably going to go on for uh, quite some time as a legacy of uh, this episode. Oh, look, definitely. Uh, maintenance is once again in the news. We've had reports of a seven one seven being hit by lightning. Uh, there's been, of course, the perfect timing. The ATSB have re- released their report on the infamous QF thirty incident where the uh, oxygen cylinder exploded near Manila uh, in a seven four seven. That fortunately, they have said that that was a once off fluke kind of occurrence. It wasn't anything uh, endemic or something that Qantas had done or maintenance had done or anything. It was just one of those things. Then there's the bird strike in Johannesburg. And of course, because maintenance is in the uh, headlines, we've had other airlines getting the maintenance spotlight. So uh, Jetstar having fuel pump problems and a hydraulic issue, uh, Virgin Blue having faulty indicator lights and uh, an aircraft returning to Sydney due to fumes in the cabin. Things that normally uh, you're lucky to know about them as a byline have been getting a few in- column inches in the newspapers lately. Yes, well, uh, Grant, I guess speaking of uh, people that have had some column inches in the newspaper lately, a uh, Jetstar pilot has done exactly that uh, recently, raising some concerns about the way things are running over there at Jetstar. Now, the gentleman is also a union representative, and uh, gee, I hope that union looks after him because uh, Jetstar's turned around and said, uh, no, that's no good, you're fired. Indeed, they have. In the article that was published in mid-November, uh, Joseph Eakins, uh, as you mentioned, a union representative with AIPA, AIPA, the Australian International Pilot 
Pilots Association, claimed that pilots working out of Singapore would be for Jetstar would be working on contracts that cut basic remuneration by almost 50% and said that Singapore was becoming a base of convenience for Jetstar. Now, we've reported on this a few times where Jetstar are increasing their uh, offshore-based pilots so that you've got pilots out of New Zealand flying through Australia and on for Jetstar. You've got pilots in Singapore for flights uh, to and from Australia, but more importantly, for those flights onwards to the UK. Now, uh, of course, the uh, Qantas immediately and and, uh, Jetstar have immediately turned around and said that is not the case, that uh, his report of a 50% discrepancy in pilot pay between Australia and Singapore is uh, very false. And that's the reasons why they sacked them was because they'd tried to communicate with him many times, they'd had no success, and he had violated his contract by going public with this information. we found, Grant, with our podcast, we found trying to talk to uh, airline pilots in general is, is sometimes difficult. All of the airlines, and particularly the Qantas Group, have very, very strict uh, rules for their staff talking to the media, which basically means none of you are allowed to, at least not on an official basis. And uh, he was really, um, I guess, taking, uh, you know, going out on a limb there to uh, to write that article, and particularly not writing it anonymously. And I wonder if, if he was doing it just to test the waters and see uh, how things might go. And well, if that's the case, he certainly found out to his detriment. It'll be interesting to see now how his union represents him here and uh, I don't know whether he'll get his job back but it's it's certainly going to be a, a good test case. That's for sure. The union is saying that uh, they're, they're calling Joe very brave and that he, he's blowing the whistle on some of these practices. They're claiming it's an unfair dismissal. They're going to take it to Fair Work Australia and uh, they're going to make an what's called an adverse action claim under the as yet untested Fair Work laws. So it's going to be very interesting no matter how it goes. They're calling him a whistleblower. Uh, Jetstar are calling him a troublemaker. We'll see how it all pans out. Yeah, so we'll leave that one there for now. Grant, now a couple of uh, just quick ones before we go to an interview that we're going to play for you that we did uh, this week. Air Asia is uh, going to fly from Darwin to Bali. That's an interesting route. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting for them. And uh, it's also very interesting for Jetstar because currently Jetstar's flying that route. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be um, tricky times to have some competition for JQ. They're going to uh, start the new daily service from December 23rd and they're pretty confident it's going to be profitable, mate. Yeah, so that's interesting. And the other thing we found interesting in the news to do with aviation this week, particularly in the uh, the always interesting world of security theatre, is that a new liquid scanner is being trialled down here at Melbourne Airport. That's correct. It's the new trial of an X-ray and scanner explosive detection technology, they're calling it. The Department of Infrastructure and Transport's Office of Transport Security, whew, there's a mouthful, uh, they've started checking it out and it's to designed to better detect explosives in liquids, aerosols and gels. So as a result of this, it's uh, started in November 24th and uh, they're going to start trials in Sydney tomorrow actually our time and the result is that you'll be able to take bottles of liquid once again so you can take your water bottles and so on and your booze as carry-on items once again if the if this goes ahead and works out well. Well taking your booze that's always a good thing particularly if you're flying Tiger Airways or someone like that Grant. Yeah well you've got to have if, if your airline doesn't have a tranquilizer trolley you've got to do what you can to top it up. <laughs> that's exactly right. Okay Grant and uh, speaking of flying and flying interstate with domestic airlines we've done exactly that this week we uh, jumped on a uh, as it turns out a virgin blue flight took ourselves up to brisbane which uh, for those of you who don't know is about 1800 kilometers i don't know how many feet that is but uh, you'll just have to work that out yourself <laughs> and we went out to brisbane and out to the brisbane suburb of ipswich which is just a few kilometers west of the city and uh, of course located there in ipswich is the royal australian air force base amberley uh, the home of number one and number six squadron yes yeah, steve it was a it was a great day going out to amberley air base at the invitation of the royal australian air force they put together a media day 
where ourselves and a large group of others from the commercial mainstream media and various uh, specialist groups and uh, enthusiast sites were allowed to come along and uh, spend the day interviewing various members of the uh, six squadron workforce. Yeah, now six squadron and one squadron, uh, Australia's F-111 squadrons. And of course, the F-111 is being retired in about two weeks from now. And uh, so, yeah, it was really a privilege to get up there. They opened up the base to everyone. Uh, of course, number one squadron has uh, already got rid of its F-111s. And uh, they're uh, where the, uh, the you know, we've reported before on the uh, their the replacement aircraft, which is the the Rhino, the the Super Hornet. So uh, number one squadron's very busy doing uh, transitions now and getting ready to uh, come on stream, you know, in its full operational capacity. But number six squadron is still there, ready to go. Those aircraft are still primed right up until the retirement day to be deployed if they were uh, ever needed to be. And uh, so yeah, we were allowed in there. We were given full access. We spoke to pilots. We spoke to navigators. We got to look at the simulator. We got to speak to maintenance crews. It was a wonderful day and uh, one of the people we spoke to was I believe the second in command of uh, number six squadron that's wing commander Terry Deeth and uh, he has a bit of a chat to us here underneath the wing I might add of an F-111C and talks about his career and uh, how much fun it is to fly the F-111. Terry mate welcome to the show. Well thanks very much mate. Okay now uh, Terry let's have a quick chat about uh, your career here with the RAAF. Okay um, yeah I, I first arrived here uh, at Ambly in, uh, in about August of 89 yeah. uh, to start my conversion course. Uh, as a navigator, um, that, that's the old parlance. The new parlance, I guess, is air combat officer, but um, we've skinned that down to uh, weapons systems officer. Yep. Uh, so WISO uh, in uh, in 82 wing of the fast jet aircrew. And, yeah, so I've been bouncing in and out of the F-111 world for um, the best part of, sort of 21 years. Yep. Uh, that is the lot of military aircrew. Yes. They don't get to always fly. Uh, so you, you're off to ground, ground, school, uh, sorry, ground job here, there, and everywhere. Yep. Um, but largely, as I said, the F-111 has been my home for uh, for that 21 years. About how many hours have you got on it? Um, just under 2,000. Okay. And uh, which exercises have you seen outside, in addition to within Australia, those outside as well? We've done lots of exercises. We do stuff around the Southeast Asia, so um, you know, spent a bit of time in Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, done my fair share of uh, exercises in America, lucky enough to do a few red flags, oh, cool. uh, maple flag exercise yeah. in, in uh, Canada, um, Cope Thunder in Alaska. Yeah. So seen a few of those, uh, you know, really interesting um, high-end air combat ex- exercises Overseas, and of course, um, you know the activities, all the exercises, and things we've done in Australia and and in Southeast Asia. I've had a, a fairly mixed and uh, and uh, career. Okay. Excellent. Um, any particular standouts of working with the pig, and you know, any any things you can tell us? Well, I, for me, the um, you know the, the standouts of the F-111 in the, in the Royal Australian Air Force have been the have uh, been the people really. Um, you know, the aircraft is great, and a great capability has been for for the nation. But the uh, the caliber of the people that I've been that have uh, that I've flown with the people who have supported it, uh, who have maintained it, are all magnificent. You know, um, so uh, for me, uh, my memories are not only the aircraft because it's yeah. great, but the people is the is yeah. the big thing for me. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, I understand um, you've had a little bit of time in the US uh, flying with the USAF. Yep, I spent uh, late 94, 95 and 96 with the United States Air Force uh, in Cannon Air Force Base in New Mexico. And I was uh, I flew there with the 524th Fighter Squadron, uh, part of the 27th Fighter Wing and the 8th, 8th Air Force for a couple of years on exchange with those guys. Uh, they were flying F-111F Pacer Strike aircraft. And, uh, and yeah, that's been certainly one of the highlights of my career. I mentioned to you before that when I, when I first walked out to the tarmac there in... Uh, in 
Canon Air Force Base and I could see quite literally serviceable F-111s as far as the eye could see, <laughs> uh, I, I knew I'd arrived at, uh, at, at a great place <laughs> and, and it certainly was. But um, yeah, so that was, that was a terrific time for me okay. and a great time for my family and um, you know, a, a great learning experience for me and uh, hopefully I imparted some knowledge uh, of our operations to the United States Air Force. So I, I went over there thinking that I'd be able to teach them a thing or two, but when you sort of uh, get swallowed up by, you know, as I said, aircraft yeah. as far as I could see and 130 or 140 crews on the base, yeah. uh, you know, you, um, you, you start to feel perhaps a little bit smaller than <laughs> you think you are. But, uh, so uh, we fly here in Australia, we fly the F-111C, and over in the States they were flying the F-111F. So what's the main difference in between those two aircraft? They're very similar, actually. Yeah, the, the F-111F um, that I was flying uh, really had the same pave tax system. Uh, it was uh, GBU-15 uh, and AGM-130 TV-guided weapon uh, capable, so I got qualified on those those, those weapons. Of course, the Paveway 3 and the Paveway 2 uh, weapon systems we, we used. Of course, they didn't have the reconnaissance capability that we have here in Australia, and they didn't have the harpoon capability or didn't, had no real requirement for it since I got... You know, that's really. right, yeah. So uh, we, we sort of didn't play with the harpoons while over there. But, um, but yeah, they're very similar aeroplanes um, to sort of what we've got here, okay. the F-11F. And uh, the engines are all the same in them? No, uh, they have bigger motors than the F-11F, and it used to get up and go a really uh, seriously low level. Uh, I remember seeing you know, Mark 1.2 a low level uh, over in an um, exercise in Canada, and I spoke to uh, an F-16 pilot that had a look at me on his radar and, uh, and said, I just... I can't do anything with that, you know. <laughs> I, I can't do it. He went away to get somebody who was a bit slower, and you know. So, um, but yeah, no, it was an incredible capability, the FLMNF. Mm. Now, uh, we were talking with uh, Matt Hall recently about uh, the, the difference in culture and the friendly rivalry that goes on between F-111 crews and uh, an F-A-18 Hornet crews. Now, you guys, of course, are going across to the F-A-18. He actually rather callously described these as B-111s. What would you think about that? <laughs> uh, look, I, just to the absolute truth, I, I don't actually consider the um, the F-111 to be a fighter. And, and, you know, any of the guys that fly these aircraft um, don't consider them to be fighters. In the United States Air Force, though, yeah. they consider them to be fighters. But, yeah. of course, they have real bombers there. Yes. B-52s and B-1s. Yeah. and they, you know, So... You know, the, uh, you know, an F-111 pilot over there is quite happily just calls himself a fighter pilot. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't see that here in Australia. Mm. But, you know, we, it's a strike aircraft, yeah. and that, that's the way we strike and reconnaissance, and uh, and we're proud of that. You know, yeah. that's that's its uh, heritage. That's what it does very well yeah. um, and has done very well in the past and served Australia particularly well for in the past. But, um, but no, it, it, you know, it can stay F-111. That's fine. <laughs> uh, and and uh, Matt Hall, you know, he, he's, a, he's a workmate of mine. He can say what he likes. <laughs> uh, I don't care too much about what those guys say. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a privilege to meet you, and uh, thanks for uh, letting us stand here under this magnificent aircraft. It would be a shame to see it go, but uh, we really look forward to seeing the Super Hornet uh, and seeing you guys perform and defending the nation. It's really great. It's a great pleasure, guys. Thanks. So there we go, Grant. Really fascinating stuff, and uh, you know, like I said before, it's just a, a pleasure to talk to these guys. And you know, I always find coming across fighter pilots here that they're not the sort of um, A-type personalities, I guess, that you would expect to find. They're always quite humble people. All of the pilots and uh, air crew, and in fact, everyone we spoke to on the base that day, they were really proud to be able to show off what they were doing, and the professionalism we saw there was just first class. That's right. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, everyone was really enthused with what they were doing, with a twinge of sadness to see the pig 
finally leaving our skies. But you're right, Steve, there wasn't a lot of arrogance. And remember that chat we had with Matt Hall a while back where he said uh, it was the fine line between competence and uh, arrogance. Yeah, that's true. Of course, the F-111 has been in service in Australia for 37 years. It came on stream in 1973 and uh, has been flying uh, in uh, frontline service ever since. Now, there was about 560 of these aircraft produced all up. Most of those, of course, well, in fact, practically all of those were in the United States. But, uh, you know, we've maintained a small fleet of them here ever since that time. And, of course, the United States Air Force, it's it's interesting to note, actually retired their fleet of F-111s back in 1998. So it's been another 12 years. The F-111 has uh, received many, many upgrades over the years. In fact, a lot of them have been, been completely rebuilt from scratch. And I guess, Grant, there was an air of sadness that the aircraft are going. But then again, I think most of the people, in fact, well, in fact, all of the people we spoke to were quite realistic about the fact that they're really uh, old technology now. They've had their day and uh, actually a lot of them are really looking forward to getting uh, over and working on the uh, the F-18F Super Hornets. And uh, we actually saw a few of those uh, sorting uh, that day, we guess, during training missions. And uh, yeah, those are pretty mean looking aircraft in themselves. And, you know, uh, really modern aircraft, that's what we need. And uh, it's interesting to note too that they're, they're only a stopgap measure in a way. They're only going to be here for 10 years until the anticipated arrival of the F-35. And uh, Ambly Air Force Base is where it's all happening. We saw C-17s there. There was also a, a wedge tail there as well. So, you know, of all the Air Force bases in Australia, this is probably the one you'd want to work at if you're in the RAF. Yeah, that's right, Steve. It's going to be a, a pretty cooking base there between that and uh, down at Williamtown, north of Sydney, where the current F-18s are based, and also I believe the Wedgetails and, and the various uh, 737 airframe-based aircraft will wind up. But uh, I believe the MRTT, the tankers, sorry, Dave, didn't mean to mention that word, uh, they'll be based out at Amberley as well. So it's, it's going to be a pretty cooking base. But uh, I think that interim short-term usage of the uh, Super Hornets is going to go longer because I really don't think the F-35 is going to be here with us as predicted. Well, anyway, folks, we'll just leave it there for this week, a bit of an extended edition, but uh, given that this is a uh, Bits and Pieces episode, uh, we, we thought we'd take the liberty and just take a bit more of your time. We certainly hope you enjoyed this segment. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. Cheers, folks.